Well, it's great to see all of y'all. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor of the church. We're glad you're here. Hope you always feel welcome to anything we have going on uh, here. We celebrate Christmas in a big way tonight or this afternoon at 5 and 7. We have our uh, manual Christmas musical. We encourage you to come and you can celebrate with that. We are in this series entitled The One. And uh, the reason it's called this way is because, you know, Jesus... You know, he, he's the one, and uh, he's the one that fulfills what was promised in the Old Testament. One of the things I talk about all the time uh, is that if you go and you look at all the Bible as a whole, and you go to what we call the Old Testament, the Old Testament has these promise he keeps making over and over. God reveals his promise. When you get to the New Testament, you realize that that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. So this series is entitled The One, and what I have shared with you uh, starting last week and kind of is the theme of this entire series is that in Jesus, God kept his promise. He is the one. In Jesus, God kept his promise, the promise to send someone, that someone to be our Messiah. And last week, as I began the series, we're in the Gospel of Matthew. And I began actually telling the story of Jesus from the genealogy. I mean, Matthew 1.1 begins that this is the account, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, who was the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. And so, you know, Matthew is writing about 60 A.D., this book, he's focused on the Jewish people who had rejected Jesus, basically. I mean, Christian, I mean, they were Jewish Christians, obviously, but by and large, they had rejected him. Christianity was becoming more Jewish and more Gentile. And you realize that really the need to connect and try to get through to the Jewish people uh, while there was still a chance, while he was still alive, especially that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promise. He's, he's the Messiah. And so I began last week with a message uh, entitled, uh, Jesus, you know, he's the one who is the one. And uh, I, I shared with you in that message that uh, there is one person, there is one who changes our lives, delivers us from sin, and brings us to God, and that's Jesus. Well, tonight, or today, I'm going to continue in the book of Matthew. Um, and, and this week and next week's messages are kind of connected. Next week's message is a very doctrinal message. I'm going to deal with the virgin birth of Jesus and that he, you know, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and deal with his nature and all of that. But what I'm going to do today is come to this passage in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 21, in a message I've entitled, The One Who Will Save. And what I want you to see in these verses today, which is really the, the crux of all of the New Testament and uh, really the heart and soul of who we are as followers of Christ, is just Jesus is the one who can do what no one else can do, which is save us. Jesus is the one who can do what no one else can ever do, and that is to save us. And so I begin the message today talking about uh, the worst day ever. All of us probably can think back, and we've had several worst days ever. And I think back to a time, uh, Debbie and I have been married just a few years, and it was either 83 or 84. I don't remember, I know where I was. I don't remember exactly the day. And uh, we, were, we were so young. We were like 22 and 23. And all Debbie had ever wanted in life, really, was to be a wife and to be a mother. And uh, not just anyone's wife. She obviously wanted to be my wife. I've said before how she relentlessly pursued me. Um, and so she wanted to be a mom. And that's what really mattered her to most. And, and we actually thought at one time that she was pregnant. The doctor even thought she was pregnant. But it wasn't. And it turns out that she got a phone call this day. It was from the doctor's office. And some tests had been done. And basically the doctor said this, Debbie. You and David will never have children together. You will never, ever have children together. That, my friend, was the worst day of her life till then. You could not have given her worse news. 
mean, that was the day. I, I just remember the devastation, and I remember the hurt, and I remember the pain, and I remember it lasted a long time. I want you to think back about 2,025 years ago. I mean, you're Jewish, and you're living in the land that was promised to your father Abraham. You're, you're living either maybe in Jerusalem or Judea, or in our story, you're in the area of Galilee. In a small little village, a little town called Nazareth. But this is where you live. And, and to some degree, you have a little bit of freedom. I mean, you, you can choose your profession, though the odds are you're born into a family and has a certain job. And you, and you understand, you're not, you're not going to change your lot in life. You're not going to go to school and get an education, you know, and you know, become an entrepreneur. There, there are no advantages to life like that. You're not going to get those opportunities. You are probably going to be whatever you're born to be. And in that, in that world... Well, there's some freedom. Basically, you're under the control of the empire of the Romans, the Roman Empire. And the Romans, if you just did everything the way they wanted you to do, would probably leave you alone. But understand the Romans were cruel and they were harsh. And oftentimes what they wanted you to do were things you did not want to do. And they could ruin your life in any given second. And if you were Jew and you were living in your homeland... And you were part of the Roman Empire, it stunk. In fact, it stunk no matter who you were, unless you were wealthy or unless you were powerful in the Roman world. It just stunk to be a part of that world. To make matters worse, you understood that your hopes of ever being free were probably gone. I mean, for six, it's been 600 years since you as a people had had some degree of freedom. I mean, for 600 years, it's either been the Babylonians or the Persians or the Greeks and now the Romans who dominated your life. You had a little brief period of time, and maybe you were a little bit free for about a few you know, decades, but you didn't experience it, and it wasn't really much to, to brag about. And to make matters worse, in this sense of hopelessness and helplessness, which there was no way out, your religious system had really abandoned you. I mean, you know, you had this faith in God, but... Your religious leaders had taken a faith in God and they had turned it into a system of rules and regulations that you really couldn't keep. It was many ways almost corrupt. And unless you were wealthy or powerful like the religious leaders, there wasn't much for you there. In fact, your life basically had not much joy or happiness except for a few things that brought you pleasure. Festivals where y'all could celebrate, maybe with family that brought you pleasure, but mostly the joy of your life was found in family. I mean, that's where it was. It was in family. And, and your family was your life, and everyone looked forward when you were young to get day you could get married and start your own family. And girls usually got married at between the ages of 14 and 16, and guys, you know, 16, 17, 18, right in there. And sometimes an older man, if he was widowed, would, would uh, you know, marry a younger woman. But mostly they married close together, and, and you were going to spend your life together, and your marriage was really arranged I mean, you, you probably were from the same small village. You probably you know, knew each other and your families at some point came together. I mean, you had some say. You could say no, but that didn't happen. And so you kind of that marriage to be arranged, and she got to know each other. You eventually entered this period called an engagement or a betrothal. And it lasted about a year. And in this time, you were considered basically to be legally married, but you didn't live together. The woman still lived with her parents, and the guy would come and visit her, and they get to know each other a little bit. And, and bit by bit, this would happen in your world. And you look forward to the day that you could be married, and you could begin your life, because that's where you would find the pleasure and happiness. So engagement is, is always a cool thing. I remember when, uh, when I got engaged. I remember back in it was April of uh, 82. And I remember it well because basically a little bit earlier, I'm, I'm 21 at this time. A few months earlier when I was in my 20, I'm not in my 20s, in my 20, I was 20, 
Debbie had basically told me, listen, either you and I get engaged or we're going our separate ways, which I thought was odd considering how diligently pursued me and all the conspiracy that went in to getting me. I thought that was odd, but you know, she had a master plan. It was a devious plan. I look back on the time. And so we were, this, I, I tell you, my engagement, I was so smooth. I was. You guys listen up because this is cool. You can learn something. I try not to pick on you, but it's just too, you're sitting right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, we were, I was a youth minister at the time, and we were at a youth event at someone's house. That part's a little lame, but I was so smooth. It was the older youth, and they were, they were off somewhere. And we're, we're sitting around there, and I say, hey, Deb, would, uh, would you think maybe you'd like to go with me later this summer to a, a wedding? And she goes, who's wedding? And I said, could be ours if you want. That's smooth. That's so smooth. That's so smooth. And immediately, immediately she looked at me and said, give me a couple of days and I'll let you know what happens. <laughs> oh, she did not see that. She was on me like a shark on chum. <laughs> Four months later. I didn't, even, I didn't even ask her family. I don't know why you people. We're live, I, I hear people always, young people, I've got to ask the parents we get married. Why? They're not, you're not marrying them. I didn't. I mean, that, maybe that's bad advice. I don't know. Anyways, that's our story. So you go back 2,000, 25 years ago, and there's this guy in Nazareth named Joseph. He's probably about 16, 17. Maybe some say older. I don't know. There's this young girl named Mary. She's probably about 15. And they're going to get married. And they, they've been several months into this engagement, and they're getting to know each other. And, 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 and we know from the New Testament that they're really two cool people. I mean, they're, they're, they're virtuous. They live right with God. I mean, this is not why the things that follow happen to them, but God can certainly use them. I mean, if you're Joseph, you, you've got like the pick of the whole, whole community. I mean, she's pretty, and she's sweet, and everybody knows her, and everybody loves her. And you cannot wait till you get married. You were looking so forward to that being the greatest day of your life. And then what? happens instead you get the worst day ever ever in your world comes crashing in verse 18 says this now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows not the actual birth but the story behind it when his mother Mary had been betrothed engaged to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit now, Matthew wants you to know it's the Holy Spirit behind all this, but the point he's hitting you with is this. In Joseph's world, that day was the worst day of his life. The day he found out Mary was pregnant. We don't know how he found out. We know from Luke's account that Mary was visited by an angel. And the angel said, hey, Mary, you know, you have found the favor of the Lord, and uh, you're, you're going to have a child. And, and she understood this to me right, right soon. And she said, I can't really. I'm a virgin. That's not possible. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's possible. Because this comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And she said, well, whatever you think I need to do, whatever the Lord wants me to do, that's, that's what I'll do. Now, she had to know the consequences of this, at least to some degree, that they were going to be great. And she had to be aware of the fact that her whole world was going to come crashing. And she couldn't like go to Joseph and say, hey, Joseph, look, I know this is going to look a little fishy and you're going to wonder, but really, I didn't sleep with anyone. I'm pregnant, but this, this came from God. No, no one's buying that. Her family's not buying that. The only person she could probably go to who would buy that is Elizabeth, who in Luke's story also had a miraculous birth. But it was the natural way. But she would go talk to her and she stayed with her a little while. But somewhere along the way, we don't know how, sooner or later, Joseph's going to find out. That's not the sort of thing you can keep from him. In 
In the New Testament, there are two places that we see something about the birth of Jesus. I know it's popular for people to say today, hey, you know, there's only two places in the New Testament that even talk about the virgin birth or the birth. It can't be that important. You probably can't even trust it. Well, I mean, you only need one. But besides that, if you understood anything at all about the structure of the New Testament, you would understand what a really dumb statement that is. Because there's only four books in the New Testament that tell the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew and Luke tell them about the birth of Jesus and the conception behind it. Mark, those three books are written about the same time, but Mark's gospel is very short. It begins, picks up in the ministry of Jesus. I mean, this picks up with Jesus doing ministry. He's not even concerned about that. John wrote 20 to 30 years later, the, the, the birth of Jesus is already accepted fact. He's not concerned about that. He deals about the nature of Jesus, but he's not concerned about those things. The book of Acts is a continuation of Luke, so I'm not going to mention it there. With the exception of Revelation, which is a really unique book in of itself, all the rest of the New Testament are letters that guys wrote to churches or people who are having problems. They wrote those letters to solve problems. And nobody, believe it or not, had a problem with the birth of Jesus. So we have these two places that tell the story. And Matthew is one of them. And Joseph has this problem on the worst day ever of his life. In verse 19, tells us this. And Joseph, her husband, who was a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace or embarrass or absolutely expose her to humility, planned, her, planned to send her away secretly. Joseph was a man who was right with God. His moral character was where God wanted it to be. That's what that means. He was morally right. Now, this isn't the reason God chose him or used him or the reason he chose Mary, but because of who they were, they were easier for God to work with. Now, God will work through unrighteous people. He worked through the Pharaoh. He worked through Herod. We'll see in a couple of weeks. But to accomplish this person, he chose people he knew could respond to him in a positive way. And so he chose Joseph. And it said Joseph, he loved Mary. He didn't want to disgrace her. I mean, back then, he didn't really have an option. He's going to have to divorce her. I mean, some people say, well, one of the options was stoning, but they didn't stone people for, for adultery back then. And, and the odds that her family would even let her be stoned, even though they'd be humiliated, that, that just didn't happen back then. But by the law, by the custom, by the expectation, Joseph had to put her away. He had to divorce her. He could not take the disgrace and shame that she would have in her life into his family and his world. And normally what you did is you had a big public trial in the, in the community and, you know, you could have witnesses, but it was pretty obvious that she was pregnant. He didn't do any of that. It said very quietly, very secretly, very discreetly, Joseph just sent her away. I can't even imagine what it was like for him that day. I can't even imagine what his worst day was like. I can't imagine what it was for him to live in a day and age where you were basically captive by the Romans. You had so little options in your life. He was never going to be rich. He was never going to be powerful. He would always be a carpenter. And the one thing he wanted in his life was for he and Mary to have a family and to live life together. And that was over. It was his worst day ever. You understand in life... We will all have worse days ever. We will. In fact, you'll, you'll live long enough like me, you'll, you'll have several worse days ever. In fact, there are times you'll think, God, it can't get any worse than this, can it? I'm kind of at that point now. I look back at my life and say, God, ain't nothing in my life now that can be worse than anything that I have ever experienced. And I'm just hoping and praying he doesn't say, well, hang on a bit. I got something else to show you. I'm really hoping he doesn't. I hope my worst days 
or behind me because I have a long future ahead and I just hope they're there, but I don't know, man. And when you go through those worst days, you know what I've experienced? Like, see, just helpless. There's nothing you can do to change it. And you're hopeless. There's no path out of it that gets better. And sometimes you're empty. Some of you right now know what I'm talking about because you're living through your worst day ever. And you know it hurts. But here's the thing, even in our worst day ever, God may well be doing something in our life we don't know anything about. Even in the worst of our days, God may be. In fact, he probably is doing something in your life you don't even know anything about. Now, this isn't meant to be some sugar-coated, everything's going to be okay. That's not what that means. And I'm not one of these guys. I hate, I hate when someone's struggling or when I'm going through the worst day ever. You know what I don't want to hear? I don't want to hear someone say, oh, you know, God has a plan for you. This is all part of God's plan. When I hear someone say that, I just want to slap them into another church, man. I really do. God, it strikes me as a pastor. I just want to say, you be quiet and get away. I'll take care of this because what you're saying is ridiculous. Because who cares? When I'm going through the worst day of my life, you know what I don't want to hear? Well, this is all part of God's plan for you. Because I'm thinking, well, God's plan stinks. That's what I'm thinking. If this is God's plan for me right now, I don't like this plan at all, and I think it stinks. Because I'm human, like you, and I know what it feels like to really hurt. But even though I don't want to hear it, I know it. And the truth of the matter is this. In our lives, even when we don't realize it, even when we are having the worst possible days of our life, God still may be at work in your life. If you're a follower of Christ, he may be working. Even if you're not a follower of Christ, God can still be working in your life. And here's the thing you need to know and you need to recognize. That the worst day ever may eventually lead to the best news ever. I remember the day well. It was March 27th, 19. 87. It had been a few years since Debbie and I found out we could not have children. And we received another phone call, and Debbie on that Friday answered the phone. It was from a lady who had become really good friends of ours. And she said, Debbie, I want to tell you that there's a little girl that's seven days old that's waiting to be your daughter. And on Monday, you come pick her up. You take her home. And on March 30th, it's exactly what we did. We went to Austin, to Marywood Adoption, Maternity and Adoption, where we have been working, and we got Kelly. And I remember that day, just Debbie holding her and I held her, how happy we were. But I, I remember when the nuns, a, Marywood's a Catholic organization. And, uh, and I remember the nuns bringing, bringing Kelly to Debbie. And I remember thinking, and I've actually told her this, I said, you do realize that those nuns, before they gave her to this Baptist pastor baptized her into the Catholic church. You know that, right? <laughs> if you honestly believe that you need to be baptized to be saved, they, they sprinkled that kid. I probably may have double sprinkled her just because she was going to go be Baptist, you know. And, and I can tell you this from that moment forward. I, I can say this about me, but I can tell you if Debbie were here today, if she were alive, she'd tell you the same thing. She would never trade Kelly for any of the children she could have had on her own in the world. She would never traded her for anything. I remember one time someone asked her, I've heard this several times, I remember this one, they said, do you ever wish you could have a child of your own? And I remember, I, listen, I don't know what hell looks like, but I saw it in her eyes that day. 
And it was, I was thankful that she was looking that way at someone else and not me for a change because I'd seen hell in her eyes a few times and it was always directed towards me. You know what I'm saying? Some days, the worst day of your life, and you can hear the best news ever. Verse 20, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord, Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Notice he calls him son of David. I told you last week, Jesus was called the son of David. There's that connection to Messiah. Do not be afraid. Do not be scared. Do not worry. Take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, next week, I'll talk about the Holy Spirit, so I won't do that today. He had a dream, and the angel appeared. Now, the angel comes from a word that means messenger. It's the messenger of God. And... Um, and in a dream, back then, and, and, and you know, sometimes God, this is how he revealed himself. It's really important. This is a, a doctrinal consideration that you need to realize that God, in, in this case, is revealing himself to Joseph. This is part of God's revelation that gets recorded in, in our scriptures. Uh, I, I tell you this all the time. Uh, God reveals himself to us progressively in what we call the Old and the New Testament. And then ultimately, the final revelation of God is Jesus. So this is a unique experience. I've heard people say to me, you know, I've had God appear to me in a dream before. I'm like, no, you didn't. God didn't appear to you in a dream. If you say, yes, he did, I'm like, no, he didn't. Because what you're saying is that God appeared to you in a dream to give you divine revelation. When we know from Scripture that that ended, so if you think that... You're thinking things that you shouldn't think. I'm not saying you haven't had some great dreams and you've felt things and been, and been inspired. I'm not saying that. You can't. God, God speaks to us, though, through Scripture. He speaks to us through prayer. He can speak to you through church. He can speak to you through worship in other ways. He, he can speak to you. He still speaks to you, but he has a way he does that. It, he's not appearing to you in, in a real way like this, but he did to Joseph. He said, don't be afraid to take her as your wife, Joseph. Go ahead. You know what that, what that meant when he was going to take her to be his wife? That meant, that meant all the disgrace that he was trying to avoid, all the humiliation that he was supposed to, to put away, he was going to take that. That means he was going to defy the customs and the logics of his day. He was going to be rebellious against his culture. And he was going to take a woman who would forever be scorned to some degree, who would have people talk about her. He was going to be mocked. He was going to be mimicked. He was going to be made fun of. He was going to deal with all of this. And he didn't even know yet about the part where as a young couple, they were going to have to make their way while she was close to delivering their child down to the city in the community of Bethlehem. He didn't even know about the part that she was going to be in, in a stable to give birth to this child. The only people who would ever come at that night would be the shepherds, lowly shepherds. He didn't know eventually that they would be in the house and this majestic scene of the Magi would come and be in front of them. And he didn't know that Herod, the king of the Jews, was going to try to kill this boy. He didn't even know he was going to have to, still as a teenager, flee to Egypt. And he didn't know that he was going to spend his life having to protect this woman, protect this child. But that's exactly what he was going to do. He was going to spend his life taking this young boy and watching him grow into a man and to teach him what it means to follow God. But the angel wasn't through yet. The angel said this, she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, Yahweh saved. And he will save his people from their sins. You're his father now. You're the legal father. And as the legal father, you're going to name the boy. You're going to name him Jesus, Yahshua, which means Yahweh saves, Jesus saves. And here's why you're going to do that. 
He's going to save his people from his sins. Now, Matthew was very concerned about the Jewish people. And so he made it clear that the angel said, people, the people here means Jews. He's coming for the Jewish people. Now, this doesn't mean that Matthew was going to neglect or Jesus wasn't here for the Gentiles and the rest of the nation. Of course they was. In fact, Matthew understood that Christianity, the Christian movement, was becoming primarily Gentile. He ends his gospel. Matthew, remember, ends his gospel saying, go make disciples of all the nations, all the different people group. Go to all the world. I'll be with you. So that's not the issue. But he was trying to hammer home to his people. He was trying to get it through to them. He came for us. We're the ones that have been looking for this guy. We're the ones that have been looking for a Messiah. We're the ones who've been looking for someone to deliver us. This guy is it. And he's going to save us from our sins, our sinfulness, and that's our problem. Our problem isn't the Romans. He didn't come to save us from the Romans. Our problem isn't the religious leaders. He didn't come to save us from the religious leaders. Our problem is us and our sin. That's not a popular message today. I get that. People don't like to think about their sin. Oh, they'll say, I messed up, I made a mistake, but I'm a good person. I do this, I do all these things. Well, knock yourself out. You may be a really good person in a lot of ways. You may do a lot of really good things. You may have, you know, it's Christmas, a lot of charities you're a part of. You can do this, that. You could be a living, walking, talking Hallmark movie for all I care. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. We sin. We rebel against God. And there's nothing we can do to ever fix that problem. And the angel said he came to save people from those sins. The word save means to rescue, to deliver. It here is a very spiritual term. It means to get you away from your sinfulness, to get you to God, because you can't do anything about it. You and I can't do anything about our sinfulness. The word save speaks of someone who is helpless, that there's nothing that person can do, like you're shipwrecked out in the middle of the ocean, and you're going to die because there's no way to save yourself. You're going to freeze. You're going to drown, and you're going to be eaten unless someone comes to save you. In our sin and rebellion against God, we are stranded unless someone comes to save us. Matthew begins his story. Matthew begins his book. He said, I want you to know that Jesus is the one who saves. We need a Savior. It's Jesus. He's the one who saves. And what a story that is for Christmas. To know that a guy who was going through the worst day of his life ever got the best news he could ever, ever get. It's the news for you and it's the news for me. It said Jesus is Savior. And the reason that's important is simple. It's because all of us need someone to deliver us from our sin and bring us to God. We all need someone. You need someone. Man, I sure need someone. <laughs> I, of all people, have needed someone to take me away from all my sin and bring me to God because I promise you I couldn't do it on my own. And we celebrate that now at Christmas because Christmas, the birth of Jesus, reminds us that Jesus is the one who uniquely came into this world, uniquely came into this world to deliver us from our sin and bring us into a right relationship with God. In other words, to save us. And this is the best news ever. There will never be anything, anyone, or any story better than that. You know what we do at Christmas? We celebrate it. And it's okay 
that everywhere we look, there's people shopping. I went shopping yesterday and all the crazy madness. I don't care. It does, listen, it doesn't matter that people are using the birth of Jesus for economic gain. None of that matters. What matters is whether or not people come to Jesus. I began the message saying that Jesus did what no one else can do, that Jesus does what no one else can do, save us, and that's really what matters. That's what matters in your life, because some of you right now, you're going through the worst day of your life. You're in a period of your life where it is as bad as it has ever been, and you see no way out, and you see no hope. You have no idea what's going to happen to you. Some of you are struggling with sin, and your sin is real, and your sin captures you, and your sin has trapped you and enslaved you. And that's where you are right now in that sense. Some of you, you feel so far away from God. You don't even know if God cares about you. You don't even know if God loves you. You may not even know if God is even there. That's the world you live in right now. I got the best news for you. There is one who loves you and one who will save you and one who will forgive you. And that one is Jesus. So why don't you take your life and trust him with it. Why don't you take your sin and ask him to forgive it? Why don't you take the worst day of your life and just say, I know somehow, some way you're working. I just wish you would do it sooner. I got it. But trust him. In the moment I'm going to be here, there'll be a few others standing here. And maybe today you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe today you just need to pray with someone. Maybe you want us to pray for someone. You're going to see some family member coming up in a few weeks. <laughs> you're thinking, that's going to be the worst day ever. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Maybe you want to join our church. I don't know what you need to do. You're going to walk out of here in a little bit. You're going to walk out into that world. You need to walk out of here knowing this, that there is one who is the one, and that one is Jesus, and that Jesus will absolutely, positively save you. And that's the best news ever. So, Father, we praise you, and we thank you. We celebrate Christmas. You give to us amazing amazing you give to us Jesus we don't deserve it we don't earn it father you've given him to us he came into this world seed of the Holy Spirit born of a virgin he came to live and he came to die and be raised again so that we might have life and so father let us come and receive life to move away from our sin and move to the only gift that really ever matters the gift that comes from the one and only the gift that comes from the one who saves. Amen. Would you stand? And you come.